morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your great mercy and your love for truth that is embedded in songs and in worship. And we pray that we would continue in a spirit of being in your presence, that we would rejoice that you are with us. We pray that we would listen to you and that you would speak to us. We pray that you would speak to us as individuals and collectively. We pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For this year, we are doing a fantastic series on the book of Ephesians. And I'm not sure if you've read the book of Ephesians recently, but if you haven't, we invite you to uh, let the truth of that book penetrate into your life. And this first series is on this specific theme, which is very strong throughout the whole Bible, but particularly in the book of Ephesians, of of what is our identity? Who are we? Uh, What are we called to be? Uh, What is our name? What's in a name? And we're continuing that this morning. I'm going to be looking at the first few verses of the book of Ephesians under the the basic theme of being called and being adopted. uh, Two remarkable truths that are uh, firmly embedded in this New Testament gospel that we celebrate as Christians. But if you're like me, you might struggle sometimes. I don't know if you ever struggle with these things sometimes struggle with a a sense of identity, of who you are, and and really uncertainty about what your life is all about. Uh, Whether you sometimes struggle with a fear of uh, of that you don't belong, that you don't really fit. Um, Sometimes you might struggle with really a deep sense of insecurity, a sense that you might not measure up, that you might not be making the standards, Uh, perhaps a sense of uh, disconnect, and insecurity again. You know, I sort of scratched my head about this one. Why, why is insecurity up there twice? Well, I was insecure that you wouldn't get it the first time. <laughs> the things that we do over and over again because we don't really get it, you know, that, that, that need that constant repetition. A fear that, um, that, that you've really spoiled things, you've blown it, and, and, and you're missing out on opportunities that you could have or you should have had. Now, if you have some of those things, I suspect you are human. Uh, the more I have moved into my life, as I moved into the later part of my career, I've had the privilege and, and opportunity of being with a variety of pretty famous people. About 10 years ago, I was speaking at a conference in, in Ottawa on the issue of water and shared the podium with Justin Trudeau. After he finished speaking, he said, how'd I do? Um, in the light of you know, what happened in the future, that, that sort of was interesting. I had one time when I shared the podium with a Nobel laureate, someone who had won the Nobel Prize in chemistry, and after speaking to a group of students, he said, how do I do? Um, how do we do? Yeah, we only know that because we're, we're part of a collective community. We only really know our position because we need constant reassurance. And if this is sometimes you, and if these things sometimes haunt you, if they sometimes ah, spoil your effectiveness, if they sometimes take away your joy, I want you to hear the first few verses from the book of Ephesians. I want God to speak to us through this and to me uh, through this. This is what Paul says, writing to the church at Ephesians, at Ephesus. Blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us to be adopted as his children through Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Somehow it's, it, it, there's a certain sense that you can get that intellectually. A certain sense that those words might sort of say, yeah, I understand that sort of transactional theology that, that God did something in Christ and therefore my life has changed. But, but to get that at the deeper level of, of that deep sense of who you are, do you know, is the question this morning, that you are chosen and adopted? Do you know that you're secure because you're in the family of God? That he has called you by your name? And he's invited you in, and he's accepted you and welcomed you. Those are earth-shattering truths. The, the, those are revolutionary. If you get that, then there's just so many things that change. I thought I'd remind you just quickly of the story of Samuel. I don't know if you recall the Old Testament story, but the first three chapters or so of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament have this incredible story of, of the calling of Samuel. If you remember the story, uh, the, the, the people of Israel at that point had uh, no king. Uh, they were ruled by, by judges that were raised up charismatically. And they had this very powerful priest named Eli. And Hannah, uh, a, a very uh, sad woman, came to the temple. And she was uh, sad because she was barren. She prayed that God would give her a child. And God listened to her prayers. Uh, and, and gave her the, the, the child Samuel. And she felt that there was such a remarkable or miraculous gift of God that she gave Samuel back to the service of the Lord. And so Samuel, probably he was 10 or 11 or maybe 12 years old, and was, was sent off to live in the temple. And he was living with Eli, with the old uh, priest in the temple. And one particular night, Eli is asleep or, or going to sleep, and, um, and Samuel's uh, also going to bed at that point, and he hears a voice, and says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel runs up and said, Eli, uh, you called me. Uh, I said, you know, I'm here. He said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And it happened a second time, and he ran to Eli, and Eli sort of, you know, the, the, the penny began to drop. He said, maybe it's God speaking. And so the next time that the Samuel heard the voice, he spoke to Eli, and uh, Eli said, prompted by Samuel, he said this. Uh, now the Lord came to him a second time, calling him as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I mean, what's remarkable about that story, of course, is the fact that God's voice sounds very much like a human voice. Right? That, that Samuel missed the fact that this was a divine calling that this was something special. I think in our lives, sometimes God speaks with very human voices too. Uh, it speaks with voices that, that if we were but listen carefully and openly and, and with a sense of expectation that God can speak to us, 
that God can speak to us this morning through the songs and through the scripture readings and even through the words that I speak. That God's voice is right there as a human voice, animated and, and ready to call us, ready to, to be with us, ready to call us that we might respond. One of the words that just uh, strikes me as such a profoundly important word is that word responsibility. Right? Responsibility comes with the connotation of, of sometimes things that you have to carry. You have responsibility to look after something. And, and it can come with a sense of burden. But the two words that are put together there are respond and ability. And the ability to respond is the ability to show that you're alive. Right? That, that, that to be, have no response is literally to be dead. But to, to have a responsibility that we can hear the voice of God and we can respond and say, God, I hear you. Speak to me. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want me to, who you want me to become. Tell me what you want me to do. And if you're not listening for that, if you're not listening for that, that voice, then I can only suggest that you might be missing out on the most amazing, the most remarkable adventure, discovery, relationship, intimacy, power, and meaning that this world can provide. That, that life is all about hearing that voice and knowing that you are in connection, in relationship, and in the presence, in communion with God himself. That God is calling us to be his children, to be adopted to his family. We too are chosen. We too, all of us in this room, are chosen to hear. Um, the New Testament makes it very clear that all are invited. Our responsibility is the only requirement for us to, to be grafted, to be connected to the vine, to be adopted as one of God's children. Not a begotten son as Christ was. Not of the very substance of God. But in fact brought into the family of God by the grace of God to his glory. Kevin a few weeks ago talked about well, what is the purpose of life? You know, what is the value of life? I, as a small child, I was brought to Sunday school. I don't know if some of you were dragged off to Sunday school. We went to a United Church. It wasn't you know, an evangelical church. It wasn't you know, particularly uh, with it in, in, in some of the New Testament sense, but I was dragged off to church. And about seven or eight years old, my Sunday school teacher, uh, that's what we called them in those days, uh, walked us through this thing called uh, a catechism. Thought, well, like, what a stupid long word to, to give. Like, talk about intimidating catechism. What is this stuff? But one of the things that was in this catechism, and I was eight years old and I wasn't a Christian, but, but it said the purpose of life. And, and, and it was from the Heidelberg Confession. And it said the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The purpose of life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And in that, he invites us into his presence. I don't know what, uh, you know, that impact that that was in my life. I, I soon forgot, but I remember as about an eight-year-old, I remember taking notes and saying, Ooh, I didn't think that was what church was about. I thought it was all about this mumbo-jumbo stuff and singing these hymns and, you know, the, the, the stuff that I didn't understand. To glorify God and enjoy him, to, that, that I could be given the responsibility of playing some role in the kingdom of God. 
that, that I could have the, the long-term inheritance, that our life will ultimately be a celebration of God's presence in our life, and we can begin that now, right? Not in the future, not when we die, but now, today, in our community, in our singing, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our time together, in our work, in our activities, in our families, that, that, that we can be in enjoyment of that. And I would argue, if you do not get that point, if, if, if that point is, is lost in you, if you're unable to respond to the call of God, then, then life is pretty meaningless. You know, the, the, the scientific, secular, atheistic uh, view of things is that you know, the universe began by a random act and it will end by a random act and pretty well everything is meaningless. But if there's a God, and if there's a, a sense of fellowship and communion with their God, then life changes entirely. Life is no longer random. It's no longer a case of constantly having to prove who you are. Right? You don't have to keep measuring up. You're in the family of God. You're secure in that position. You don't have to keep striving to, to achieve what you already have. Right? You're, you're part of this, this unbelievable fellowship. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And we celebrate in that communion a new covenant in the blood of Christ. We celebrate a life that's broken for us, that brings us into it. But when we do that, we become part of a family. And, and we want to imagine not just the people here in the sanctuary this morning, but the church through the ages, the church infinite, the church of, uh, of meeting in Africa, of meeting in Soviet uh, and uh, you know, different parts of the world, and different ages, different languages, all celebrating this life that we have in Christ, this family kinship. The question for us this morning is not do we understand that, Right? The question for us is, do we really believe that? You know, has that sunk into the core of our being? Have we understood that God has accepted and adopted us? And we don't have to prove it anymore. We don't have to measure up or meet some standard that he has bequeathed to us the righteousness that enables us to be in that relationship. That he has given to us an inheritance of the presence of his, of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Yeah, that, that, that is right there, ready for the asking, ready for the fellowship, ready for the, the power of release, of, of love into situations where there cannot be love experienced in any human way. Jesus tells a parable in the New Testament, the parable of the loving father. We sometimes call this the parable of the, uh, of the prodigal son. We put all the emphasis on the rebellion of the son. But, but the emphasis in that story is not only in the rebellion of the son, but it's, it's mostly in the loving father. The loving father who loves both of his children, by the way. I don't know if you're the rebellious one or the, or, or the conformed one this morning, the one who stays at home and tries to do everything right, but still doesn't understand the love of the father. Or the one that goes and, 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 and spends all the inheritance and lives in riotous life. But I hope you can just visualize the, the, the father Waiting on the edge of this property, peering into the distance in the sunlight. Where's my son? Will today be the day that he comes home? Will today be the day that, that I welcome him back? And in the distance he sees his son, and he runs to his son, a completely undignified thing to do, completely crazy thing to do in the context of the Middle East, runs to his son and welcomes him in. 
and, and the, the son who's the, the, the stay-at-home, the do-everything-right, the capital R responsibility son, doesn't get it. And when the feast is given, you know, the father has to explain to him too, saying, do you not know that everything I have is yours? Do you not understand the love of the Father? You've been with me all this time. I love both my children. I love all my children. For you this morning, I hope you can imagine that God has been waiting for you to, to welcome you in, to assure you that you are a part of the family, that, that, that you are open, welcome with open arms and with celebration. That if you've heard the call of God and say, God, I need you. I want you in my life. I know I've blown it, but, but you've accepted me. And, and in that celebration, know that you were a sinner. That, that the shame and the, the failure and the loss of the past is gone. And you're in a time of unbelievable celebration. Do you know that for yourself? Right? Not in theory, but in practice. Do you know that God loves you and has adopted you and you are part of his family? That's the question that we have. When we go to communion, we think about what it is to be the family of God. To share in this feast is to be part of that family. It's a truth that needs to penetrate deeply into our lives. It's a truth that we only get a little bit at one time. But, but as it gets deeper and deeper, we realize what an incredible joy it can be to be a Christian. To be part of an eternal, everlasting legacy of celebration and delight. To be welcomed in, in a, into the fellowship of the Trinity itself. To, to be part of the Holy Spirit living in us and living together. That you don't have to measure up, that you don't have to have a great job, that you don't have to be great at sports, that you don't have to have a great voice, that you don't have to have any of the attributes that this world acknowledges but that you as an individual are called. And you as an individual, you yourself are adopted and brought into the family of God. Ah, the worship that just brings you into the truth that, that is so clear in Scripture and so clear in the, the life of Christ. Our answer that comes from Christ to our insecurities, to our weakness, to our fear, to our failure is to be invited into a family, to be invited into a family of God, to be able to deal with our struggle that it's over, that if we really get this, if this truth really penetrates into our life, then we are a part of God's family. This is not a job interview that we have to prove that we are worth our wages. Right? This is not like a, a tryout to a sports team that if your skills deteriorate or you're not good enough, you never get chosen in the first place. It, it's not like being an elite club that you have to meet the standards at a particular level. This is hearing and responding to the compassionate love of Christ who forgives us and welcomes us in. Welcomes us into a family that we are given the reassurance, the comfort, the, the support that we need not only directly through the Holy Spirit, and praise God, that's a reality, but also through each other. If I think about an image of what that might look like in the church, it's, it's got to be celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery, which is so clear about both human failing and that human failing is dealt with with love and comfort and reassurance and encouragement. That that is what the church is about, or should be about. Ideally, a family is, is a place of 
delight in celebration. It's a place where you come together and tell stories. It's a case where a time where you celebrate being together at our very best when we have family over for Thanksgiving uh, or for, for a celebration. Everybody's there and there's a buzz. There's an excitement of sharing stories and just being together. At its best, it's, it's marvelous and it's terrific. I want you to imagine how bizarre it would be that if, uh, you know, Jeff made the little joke about checking IDs at the door. Imagine that you got a family Thanksgiving, you check IDs. Are you really my son? Uh, where's your birth certificate? I want you to prove it. Right? Are, are you really? I mean, it would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous for me to, you know, us to do an inventory at the door saying, what have you done this week? Have you measured up? You're not part of the family unless you've, you know, earned a certain amount of money or given a certain way amount or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. Once you're in a family, there's a, there's a security and the delight in that. But let's be honest as well. The, the, the image of a family is pretty deeply marred in the modern world. Right? The, the, the image of family is, is, is not always the great good it should be. That the families are a place of um, sometimes the most awful and horrible crimes of violence and acts of of selfishness and greed. It's a place that's factious and sometimes fractured and often fragmented. A place of impatience and argumentative insecurity and a place of entitlement and flawed relationships and a place where people can hurt each other really deeply. And let's be realistic and say that that happens at churches too. Right? Where churches lose the image of what it is to be a celebratory, enlightened, empowered, loving community and, and become something very different from those things. And I think it's so often because we don't get the central truth, that we're already accepted, that we're, that we're always trying to measure up. Churches have spent such an unbelievable amount of time and energy and, and fighting over drawing the boundaries of who's in and who's out. You know, of trying to do what is God's job only to identify who his children really are. I mean, that's not our job. We don't know the outcome of that. We don't know what's in human hearts. We don't know those are faking it and those are really good at it and those that are, are, are so marred and so hurt that, that they don't feel like the family of God, but they are. We don't need to draw those boundaries. God has drawn them. We are a church that celebrates an open table. One that you can come to and participate in because of God's grace to you. Not one that we stand constantly in, in guarding it from, from, from others. The Christian church is a celebration of familyhood at its very best. It's a celebration of what it is to be a forgiven people, not a perfect people. It's a place where we should take pride not in what we don't do, not in the rules that we set and the guidelines that we set, but in what we do in a positive sense. The, the, the collective vision of the staff and the elders is more and more that we make a positive impact on this community, that, that we invite people in to, to play badminton and basketball and floor hockey and come to, to the, the picnics and barbecues and, and, and see uh, raptors. Uh, in, in church parking lots, not the Toronto ba basketball team, well, that would be pretty cool too. Yeah, but, but, but the flying ones, yeah, all of that stuff is what we should be. We should be doing things, not worried about making mistakes. Right? And, and that's because we're secure in a relationship of who we are in Christ. That's because we know that we're called and we're unique. 
Have you ever thought about how unique you are? That every single person in this room has unique fingerprints, has unique retina scan. Even our voices are all unique. You can do voice recognition and, and figure out who people are. You know, the, the, the raspiest, funniest voice goes to, I get the award for that one. But it's my voice. It can be changed a little bit perhaps, but, but not fundamentally. But you are also unique, not only in those physical attributes of your body and, and your DNA, but, but, but you're unique in the relationships that you're in. You're unique in the skill sets that you have. You may not be the best in mathematics, uh, winning the, the, the major wars, but you know enough math to do what God has called you to do. You may not be the best at, at writing. You may not be the best at interviews. You may not be the, the best at, at, at cooking meals. None of those things really matter because you are what God has called you to be. You are in the place where you can be transformed. You are in a unique set of relationships with the people that you live with, the people that you work with, the people that you share a community with, the people that you're on the go train with. That your relationships with them is, is unable for any other person to occupy. And in that relationship, all we have to be is celebratory. That we are called that we are part of a bigger family, that we are able to do these things, that we get to serve God, that we get to be part of this inheritance of God's power and his kingdom and his love, that it gets to flow through us. That's what family can and should be. The image of family, the image even of adoption in a worldly sense is, is sometimes marred and difficult. People are sometimes adopted for the wrong reasons and sometimes they're given up for difficult reasons and sometimes the, the fit is difficult and you inherit all sorts of challenges and sometimes it's glorious and wonderful. But the image that we have in Christ is that ideal of what a family can and should be if they really get who they are in Christ. Of what adoption can be when we really celebrate that we are joined to the family of God. That we are given a new identity that's not based on our surname or our past or our achievements or a resume or a CV or, or, or our police record. But it's defined by Christ who's welcomed us in. Ephesians is not only amazing for the density of its declarations of, of theological truth, but it's got one of the most remarkable prayers in the entire New Testament. It's a prayer for us to experience the love of God. The passage that uh, Jeff read is a remarkable passage, but this prayer is one that I hope we will pray for each other, that we will pray for our church, that we will pray for our families, that we will pray for our loved ones, that we will pray for the youth church downstairs, that we will take this prayer and we will live it and breathe it and we will experience it ourselves. Pray it with me in your hearts as it shows up on the screen behind us, behind me. For this reason, the reason being all of what Christ has done for us and what he's brought us into in this family. <clears throat> Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with the power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend 
with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.